Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. The nation of Sri Lanka suffered an economic collapse leading to protests and riots and the president and prime minister fleeing the country this summer. Was the turmoil, was the source of, what was the source of this political turmoil? Well, would you believe fertilizer? In 2021, the former prime minister ordered farmers to stop using chemical fertilizer and use organic fertilizer instead. The ensuing events touch on an issue that's concerned economists for almost the uh, entire time of our profession, namely a famine. And the consequences of crop failures in Sri Lanka illustrate some important points about international trade and finance. Joining me on eConversations today to help make sense of, our, uh, of what happened in Sri Lanka is Peter Earle. He's an economist with the American Institute for Economic Research. Mr. Earle studied engineering at the U.S. Military Academy and earned graduate degrees in economics and finance. And he's worked on, in, in the finance uh, field for 20 years before joining AIER. Peter has edited six books for AIER and published numerous op-eds and other pieces. And he recently appeared on uh, Fox News to discuss events in Sri Lanka. Well, welcome back to the show, Pete. Thanks for having me. Well, so let's just talk a little bit about, you know, for our viewers to set the scene here and uh, you know, let them uh, know what happened in Sri Lanka, the events that ended up heading up, uh, coming to a head this summer with, in effect, the, the uh, government being forced out of power. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, what uh, a lot of people didn't know was really happening uh, really came to, to land in our uh, consciousness, came to our attention in mid-July with images of crowds and riot control uh, police um, uh, trying to keep uh, hordes of individuals, Sri Lankans, away from the, uh, from the Capitol building. And uh, essentially, they, uh, uh, the, the president was forced, or the prime minister, rather, was forced out of office and uh, there was civil unrest for some period of time. It all had to do with the decision to just overnight in mm -hmm. 2021 uh, end the use of synthetic fertilizer uh, uh, in lieu of uh, organic fertilizer. And you know, there, there were some pretty significant reductions in, in crops uh, in, in Sri Lanka in the aftermath. Of, and it started almost immediately after the, the banning of, of uh, chemical fertilizers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Something like one third of the lands of the land that used to be arable became uh, uh, arid became idle. Uh, Twenty percent drop in rice within six months of the edict. Uh, declines in everything else, including tea, which mm -hmm. is an extraordinarily important crop in Sri Lanka. Yeah, and and we'll come back. We'll come back around it to come full circle on this, and we'll see why tea was a key in in, in this uh, economic crisis. Now. Some viewers might be thinking, well, talk about 
uh, you know, crops and, and farming here. This seems like something more for the farm report as opposed to a show about economics. But it turns out economists have long been talking about uh, issues regarding famine and, and food production. It goes all the way back to one of the first economists, uh, Reverend Thomas Malthus, right? Yeah. Uh, Thomas Malthus really is, is credited for uh, the expression, the dismal science, um, in that uh, he made predictions that eventually population would outrun the ability to produce food. And um, overpopulation and starvation, and all of those themes started with uh, Thomas Malthus, but they're still with us very much uh, today. And in fact, the entire term Malthusian re refers to this whole sort of like outlook or worldview of, of things are always going to yep. be pretty dismal. Uh, humanity's always going to be on the er verge of, of starvation and, and <laughs> yeah. uh, a plague. Um, right. and, and there's certainly some modern Malthusians, people like uh, Paul Ehrlich, who, who've consistently re uh, rehashed this theme, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a perennial. Um, I'm not sure if that has to do with... Uh, um, either a recognition of exactly how fragile um, our, uh, our our our, our um, supply chains and our in our agricultural sector are, um, which is really kept aloft and kept working by markets and prices, or if it's just uh, that um, bad news is exciting and it sells, probably a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that helped uh, hold. I guess famine at bay in modern uh, in the modern world, and to largely eliminate famine in many parts of the world was was something called the Green Revolution that occurred in the years after World War II, and it, it was sort of like at one level is what Sri Lanka was going against with this uh, uh, chemical fertilizer ban. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the Green uh, Revolution and this uh, great scientist Norman Borlaug. Yeah, so the basic idea, um, as I understand it, is that essentially um, by developing new strains of wheat and other sorts of uh, uh, crops, uh, they became more uh, more disease resistant and they had a higher yield on whatever the unit is per acre or, you know, per hectare or whatever. And for that reason, you know, you could argue that Borlag, who most people don't really know his name, but, uh, you know, this is a guy who arguably has saved over a billion people from starvation. Mm -hmm. It's an extraordinary story that, uh, like so many in economics, is really underappreciated, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you think about that for a moment. You think about like somebody who, who actually saved probably at least a billion uh, uh, lives. It's it's pretty amazing for that. And you know, he won the Nobel Peace Prize, and um, you know, yep. he also he also laid out the idea that he thought that uh, higher yields from crops would uh, help protect the environment. In fact, uh, help halt deforestation because he thought. If our best croplands, or if the best croplands in places like Indonesia or India or Sri Lanka, could actually yield more food, then we would, you know, then people there wouldn't need to cut down the forests to have more land to, to grow low-yielding crops on. And I think his his, uh, his foresight there has been widely uh, verified. That that yeah, higher food, you know, better productivity in agriculture. Not only does that release people to do other things in the economy and society, but it's also good right. for the environment in terms of uh, reducing our impact on, on nature, especially on forests. Absolutely. So if, so if we can grow better, more hardy crops on less 
uh, farmland and it's enough that we need, we can allow forests to grow again. Uh, we can do other things with that land if we want to. And, um, you know, I, I think really the impact of that is really similar to that of money is we can it, mm -hmm. is money allows us to specialize and um, having food security on a wide basis allows us to do everything from trained surgeons to uh become ventriloquists <laughs> yeah. a wide variety of things we can do yeah yeah i mean if you want to think about it, one way to, to measure the standard of living in a, a society would be to look and say what percentage of the population is engaged in agriculture because when, when people do nothing when people can't do anything more than simply feed themselves and keep themselves alive, then as you say, sure. they, they can't become brain surgeons, they can't uh, become engineers, they can't become composers and, you know, or, or, or write uh, you know, Shakespeare's plays or, or anything else. They're, they're going to uh, spend all their time and energy and efforts uh, just trying to, to get enough food to stay yep. alive. I'm going to wave my arm quick so my light comes back on. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's a fact that, uh, you know, uh, if you look at certain places in Africa, for example, um, there are still people who spend most of a given day securing water mm -hmm. or securing food. And once that's alleviated, it allows for a fantastic diversity of talents, which improve everyone's lives to emerge. Yeah, and, and you know, there's talents and in, in, uh, the importance of, of humans is, is a theme that the, the great economist Julian Simon, who, who, who you can say is the ultimate non uh, or anti-Malthusian, uh, yeah. a theme that he emphasized repeatedly in his, his work that you know that, that the mind is is our ultimate resource and it's really been all of these advancements in technology that that have allowed us to you know, raise above subsistence. Yeah, that's the one thing that the Malthusians, now I think the Malthusians originally got the shapes of some of the curves wrong. I think right. they thought they were geometric when they were arithmetic or whatever. I know I learned that in grad school, but I think the most important thing is that they simply didn't take into account the fact that people will always have new ideas and people right. will always be coming up with new means of dealing with scarcity and new systems uh, using prices for allocating resources. And uh, that, uh, again, I mean, dire predictions may be exciting, but in fact, um, we have uh, wonderful and full lives because we're constantly innovating and that innovation comes from the most unexpected places at times and unexpected people at times. Yeah, yeah, and that's an important part of it because if, if, if we knew what we were going to learn, we'd already know it. And, and in <laughs> fact, it's, it's, uh, discovery has to always uh, be, be a surprise in, in some extent. Yeah, exactly. So the, the Green Revolution was uh, all this uh, advances in, in uh, agricultural science, uh, I guess, uh, all the uh, ag schools and agronomists and, and, bi and, and plant biologists uh, paying dividends uh, for, for human society. And yep. now we go back to 2021, Sri Lanka sort of went in the opposite direction, sort of trying to, it was fertilizer as opposed to plant seeds, but it, it was still a, a, still a clear dis, uh, movement away from sort of modern technology-based agriculture and back to a simpler form of, of farming, if you want to think of organic farming in that fashion. What, what was some of the, the, the thinking going on here? Well, I mean, we've had this this sort of recent arrival. I guess it's taken many forms, but the most recent form of uh, of sort of environmental and uh, commercial 
um, political thought has been ESG. Now, that started with stakeholder theory and a number of other theories, but ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance uh, measures to evaluate uh, a firm, that's in addition to, say, profit or whatever, and in some cases, because before profit, um, holds companies and uh, uh, holds, in, in this case, there were ESG scores for nations being considered. And um, it holds them to certain uh, to certain uh, um, strictures, including um, exactly how or the level of carbon uh, that's being uh, generated and um, what the social uh, what, what social features are available for, say, women and minorities to um, get a better uh, shake in society and that sort of thing. And um, ESG has more recently been sort of a guideline for certain uh, large-scale agricultural and commercial practices. And um, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it sounds like a bad joke, but uh, just about the time when Sri Lanka had these problems and, you know, went off, went off of um, synthetic fertilizer in favor of organic fertilizer, they had a near-perfect ESG score. Right. Yeah. Which says a lot. Yeah, 98 out of 100. But you know, yep. they, they adopted this policy that was going to impoverish, in some case, uh, push a lot of Sri Lankans into uh, uh, poverty, uh, uh, extreme poverty, not like poverty you have in the United States, but extreme poverty. Right. I mean, uh, so two quick thoughts on that is that um, it, it takes an astounding amount of foolhardiness to do something like that by decree overnight. I mean, I could see, I wouldn't agree with it because we, we, we've progressed to this point by means of of specific and, and, and purposeful uh, steps. But I could see if perhaps some uh, well-meaning uh, political figure said, okay, we're gonna try to edge back 5% per year or 10% per year, but to overnight tell mm -hmm. farmers who in many cases had never used organic fertilizer that this is the new standard is absolutely, it's, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just, uh, it's political, it's social malpractice on a, on a tremendous scale. And um, yeah, I guess that was my major point. I get, you know, the other thing is, I, I once had an intern and, and um, you know, she was from, uh, from a part of the world where she said, you know, uh, a lot of Americans don't understand where I come from, starvation means you die. It doesn't mean you go without lunch. It doesn't mean, you know, poverty or impoverishment doesn't mean you have one TV instead of two. It means death. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a lot of Americans, um, for good reason, I mean, we sort of earned this position, but um, we, 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 we could stand to be a little more sober about the realities out there. And that starvation literally means, you know, no food right. until, uh, you know, one expires or something like that in many other countries. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and um, so let's get into some of the consequences of uh, what, what happened here, because Sri Lanka had before uh, this this decree they were more than self-sufficient in food they they were they 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 had and it was rather a remarkable transition to get to the point where they were actually able to export rice they they export were able food, to right. feed uh, feed their, their their population and then actually have some rice left over to, to feed to uh sell on world markets now if the rice uh, crop had declined just on its own, that would have been bad, but there, there could have been things that uh, Sri Lanka could have done in, in response to that. And you mentioned tea. So explain to us right. why tea is a, a part of the story as well, even though they weren't going to eat tea. Well, my understanding is that tea is a major export and that uh, without um, and, and that, and that uh, without tea, 
they weren't able to generate the type of foreign exchange that they mm -hmm. typically need in order to get, engage in other sorts of trade. So typically, countries like Sri Lanka, smaller countries, um, typically they don't trade in, say, the Sri Lankan rupee. For inter internally they do, but for international trade, right. they would use the dollar, the euro, the pound, a much larger, even say the Aussie dollar or the or the or the um, Japanese yen. But um, what happens is, oh, I mean, and that's just one factor. There are a number of reasons why they got low on foreign exchange. But tea is the big one that brings in a lot of foreign exchange, and without that, they found themselves in a in a much bigger, um, in the midst of a, of a much deeper economic morass. And the. Uh the fertilizer mandate affected the tea production as well. So, I mean, you know, it had been one thing if, if you needed to go out and buy some rice and you had the, the foreign exchange that you were earning, the, the, you're, you're still right. selling tea on the market and then you could use those proceeds for that to buy rice instead of like televisions or something else that you, you maybe would have liked to have. But now you don't even have like the, the foreign exchange, the access to the, the purchasing power in foreign markets to go out and, and and buy the rice that you're going to need to import. Which also means that when it came time to uh, to reverse, uh, uh, to do it about face policy-wise and bring in organic fertilizer again, there wasn't enough currency to do so. Mm, okay, yeah, that's, a, that's another good point there. And then also a, a nation like Sri Lanka, another thing that was uh, contributing to their, their foreign exchange woes was that they certainly owe a lot of money. They've borrowed money over the years. and. And again, it is, yes. uh, they would have to use foreign exchange to, to pay those debts, right? Absolutely. So usually when a company, well, when a country rather takes debt, usually their debt service is due with the currency uh, which they borrowed in, mm -hmm. whether that's dollars, whether that's chi uh, um, Chinese renminbi or whatever. And in, a, in the last, uh, say, half decade, Sri Lanka has engaged China for a number of very large building projects. Right. Uh, they've incurred a lot of debt for other things. And for that reason, uh, the combination of not having a cash crop, uh, not having exports, rather, to receive Forex, um, the pandemic, um, the Easter bombings, uh, which uh, really cut tourism, which usually mm -hmm. brings in foreign exchange, they found themselves in an extremely detrimental position throughout the second half of 2021, and in particular, the first five or six months of 2022. Now, you mentioned um, you know, some of the COVID, for instance, and some uh, uh, persons of, I guess, environmentalists who don't want to blame the, the, the fertilizer mandate for this have argued that, well, no, no, it wasn't uh, the fertilizer, it was COVID and, and, and other issues that, that brought down Sri Lanka. Uh, what's your response to that? So, I mean, I mean, the Easter bombings led to a drop in tourism. COVID led to a, a, a sharp end to remittances as well from, from Sri Lankans living abroad, as well as um, from as well as low economic output within Sri Lanka. And uh, for all those reasons, you know, all those dollars, euros, sterling, all it all disappeared. And then we had like drops in commodities prices and all of this stuff really became sort of a toxic environment in which the last thing you would want to do in terms of being a responsible government official is do an experiment, mm -hmm. especially one upon which your food security uh, depends. You, you mentioned a, a term in there that I think, you know, I, I think we want to uh, elaborate on or expand on a little bit here for our viewers, and it is remittances, because it's actually like a really important uh, I, yeah. concept in international finance. So explain for us what it was meant by remittances and, and how, in, in many ways, 
you know, I think this is like by far the most uh, the most beneficial form of foreign aid, if you want to think of it that way. A lot more, probably a lot more valuable sure. than the government foreign aid. So, I mean, a really familiar version of this for Americans involves Mexican citizens. Mexican people come to the United States, they work in the U.S., and they send dollars back home. Mm -hmm. Dollars are uh, a, a more valuable currency, not only for their use, but also uh, for their uh, I mean, comparable to, to, say, Mexican pesos, inflation resistance. And so a large stream of dollars is always heading back to Mexico. And many Sri Lankans work in India, they work in Europe, some of them go to grad school and they wind up in the United States or Japan or places like that. And they're constantly sending home either dollars or euros. And that's a very important source. It's a major source, in fact, not the major, but one of the major sources in addition to foreign in addition to exports mm -hmm. um, for uh, Sri Lanka to get a hold of foreign currencies. And then they also obviously benefit the uh, family members that they send the, the, the money home to. And, and, you know, of course. And that, right. that in many ways, you know, if, if you've got a, a relative who's in the United States working and they send some money home and you're able to use that to help start a business, you know, then you're, you're not only benefiting uh, the economy here in the United States, but those remittances are helping to build up the, the other country's economy. I mean, something like as little as $50, you know, once a month or twice a month, you know, if $20 of that becomes savings and the rest becomes money to purchase things or to start a small business, I mean, there's an inestimable benefit to doing mm -hmm. so. Plus, there's a sort of a... Uh, there's a sort of a, uh, um, uh, a specialization in that, you know, we get talent from other countries and they're able to benefit their countries when they can send some of their earnings back. So I think it's uh, it's really a win-win in many senses. So then as we get into er the earlier part of this year, uh, economic the economic situation really, really, you know, I guess the building effects of these uh, foreign exchange, limited foreign exchange and uh, uh, difficulty of, of trying to import the food that they need to import, or as you mentioned, even go back to importing uh, chemical fertilizers, uh, all started right. to build. So, like, what what was uh, what were some of the what were some of the, the facts on the ground, or what were some of the the, the uh, statistics, the economic statistics that they were facing there in, in Sri Lanka earlier this year? So, I mean, they had a tremendous drop in, in, in their equivalent of GDP in, mm. just, in just economic output, economic growth. But also, uh, they had to, they, the, the government wound up printing money. They wound up uh, inflating the Sri Lankan uh, rupee. And so, in a, a short amount of time, we had uh, inflation of, I believe it was over 80% in the month of June, although I have to check that. I know that we had rice, uh, they had rice prices up 50%, tomatoes yeah. up several hundred percent. Uh, something like 50% or 80% inflation overall. Mm -hmm. So I mean, on top of everything else, you now have this this tremendous rise in the general price level, which which affects everyone. And you know, it's it's inconceivable. But in the space of what is it, 14 months, you have a country that was self-sufficient and uh, had some debt problems. You know, had some had some things to deal with. Nothing much worse than any other country. Become uh, almost a completely uh, despondent and dependent uh, state. And because Sri Lanka had actually, I think, moved up out of the, uh, I guess, the lowest, uh, the way the World Bank rates countries. It, right. it moved up to from the lowest income countries to the, the bottom of the middle tier, middle income uh, uh, countries, because their, their economy yep. had been uh, growing. They'd had a civil war some number of years ago, but putting that behind them, they, uh, their yep. economy had made great strides. Yeah, 
No, it had. So, I mean, it's really uh, – uh, I can see why ESG proponents will really want to distance themselves from this story. Mm -hmm. But the fact is every condition up to that point where the overnight decree was made to switch mm -hmm. from synthetic to organic uh, fertilizer were manageable. Mm -hmm. They were bad, but they were manageable. The real tipping point and the point which really acted as the agent of so many other knock-on effects which really drove the country sadly to its knees was this uh, decision to force uh, the use of uh, organic fertilizers overnight. And I have to stress overnight. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, and, and that's also sort of like you know, Indonesia is a, a, a similar income country. I think a little poorer than Sri Lanka, but you know, they had many of the same kind of stresses as Sri Lanka, except yeah. they didn't have the uh, the, the fertilizer uh, uh, decree. And uh, you know, Indonesia hasn't uh, fallen apart like the like Sri Lanka or India suffered. You know, I'm sure we can find. I'm sure we can find many examples of countries like that. I mean, uh, I mean, when when we look back, um, the idea of of China building all these highways and, and that sort of thing. Um, there's something that happens with a lot of third world countries where yeah. they they want to build railroads. They they really seem to equate you know infrastructure and stuff with wealth, when actually there's not always a causal effect. Not yeah. having major highways doesn't necessarily mean that's why, or, or doesn't necessarily pave the way to becoming a first world country. But even so, none of those things uh, put this uh, put the economy of, of Sri Lanka and its people in such mortal danger as the, uh, as the fertilizer decree did. That was the tipping point, and that was the one that uh, really set everything that we've seen since then in motion. And so essentially then, you know, by this summer, I guess we were getting into what, what you could call food riots in that people didn't have yep. food. And, uh, you know, and again, you know, here in the United States, it's, as you mentioned, it's just so hard for us to even understand. But, I mean, if you're a parent and you've got your children and you can't feed them, that's got to be absolutely. just like the most uh, absolutely gut-wrenching uh, heartrending, you know, experience in the world because as a parent, like that's like your first responsibility is to, to like feed your Absolutely. children. And, 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 you know, when you don't have any uh, food, you know, I mean, so you make a similar point about the, the baby shortage, uh, baby formula shortage here in the United States. I mean, right. it brought some of that whole uh, uh, fear and that, that was probably the worst, worst thing in the world uh, you could feel, fear feel, uh, uh, you know, back home to us, but that, that you yep. know, you can sort of understand why you know, started uh, set off food riots. Yeah, I mean, I'm a dad. I get it. Awful. <laughs> Can't even imagine. And, uh, and so, I guess they, they, they you know, had regime change of a, a sort in, in Sri Lanka. An abrupt sort, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where, where do you think things are, are going in, in Sri Lanka forward from here? Uh, they've, they've rescinded the uh, ban on uh, or, or chemical fertilizer, but they, they still have difficulty right. trying to uh, import it. Yeah, so these types of events are usually very asymmetric in their formulation, a very rapid drop mm -hmm. and then a tough hole to climb out of. So uh, I haven't followed it extraordinarily closely, but I know that um, restructuring the debt is something that they are trying to do. And also, I believe that they are encouraging the use, that the government has encouraged use of either the euro mm -hmm. or uh, I don't think the Indian rupee, but oftentimes what happens, not only in hyperinflations, but when you have these high inflations is um, citizens are encouraged to use other currencies. Now, of course, with a, with a lack of foreign exchange, that's difficult to do. 
But uh, my understanding is that uh, they're slowly winding their way out of that. But there will be a lot of pain along the way. Um, it will probably be very difficult for Sri Lanka to borrow money in the future, which is probably a blessing in disguise. But there are certain things right. they might want to borrow for. And um, I think that if we were to salvage some silver lining here, it is that no matter what they say, uh, the proponents of ESG will probably, uh, behind closed doors, be much more cautious in what they endorse. And certainly, even if they aren't, uh, leaders of nations are going to be, one would hope, uh, mm -hmm. much, much more careful in uh, attempting to impose these, uh, these uh, decree, you know, the, the, these new rules on uh, business sectors, especially agriculture. And it probably should, you know, at least for uh, Western uh, people, Western leaders, especially environmental leaders or proponents of ESG, I mean, I, I hope it would uh, lead them to seriously rethink uh, some of their their priorities here. Because you know, like I said, when you have people starving and people thrown into uh, extreme poverty, that that is not. There's no way. There's no score you should be having that that shows that that's a good thing to be ha have happening. No, definitely not. I think I'd be I'd be very proud of America's uh, 45 or 50 score, and uh, maybe we should even shoot for lower. <laughs> well, any final thoughts here before we wrap up? Uh, no, just uh, you know, this the, the organic uh, uh, furniture fertilizer decision was made based upon ideology and not based upon it was not guided by prices and markets which uh, would be a, a much better guide for these sorts of things. Um, but uh, the, the unintended consequences of these types of policies have been stunning. Let's hope they don't have to be relearned over and over again. That's my hope. Well, that, that's, that's a good hope. Um, of course, if they repeat these uh, errors too many times, I guess they won't be completely unintended or unforeseen consequences. Uh, well, thanks Absolutely. for coming on and, and talking about this for, with us. And, and thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu slash business.